from the trails to the road to the track. If it's running, you'll find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild. Hello, everybody. Sean Sobon coming to you fresh off the snowy trails of Shelburne, Ontario, where I've been running with my faithful canine pals, Luna and Piper. Luna's turned out to be quite the polar, so she uh, got Piper and myself safely home. And this is the 100th episode of Trail Tales ARP. And I have Luna and Piper kind of making some noise behind me in the background, which is very fitting because she, they are both my uh, running partners. Um, for the 100th episode, I have an exciting announcement to make. And if you follow us on Trail Tales uh, ARP on Instagram, you will know that I have an announcement coming up. And that is that I'm bringing in a co-host. For my regular listeners, you, need, you may know that uh, I've decreased the amount of shows from having weekly episodes to doing it monthly now. And... Um, I wanted to get some help in on the show, and I couldn't think of a better person than the one I'm about to introduce. Um, he is an amazing ultra runner. He's an amazing person coming all the way from the beautiful Kawartha Lakes. Without further ado, Russell Lavis, welcome as a co-host. You're going to be a staple here on the show, and I'm really excited to have you, and I'm so glad that uh, you answered my call, buddy. So say hello to everybody. It's a tremendous honor to have been asked uh, to be a co-host on your truly amazing podcast, Trail Tales ARP. Congratulations on this being the 100th episode, and I couldn't be more grateful that you've asked me to uh, join you in, in being a co-host on your podcast. And congratulations on this epic milestone of the 100th episode. Thanks, buddy. It's pretty cool. I want to thank uh, Jody and Norm from the Gotta Run Racing Podcast. They're actually the ones that pointed out to me that it was going to be my 100th episode. I'm like, what are you going to do for your 100th episode? I was like, well, I was just going to do a solo show and talk about running with dogs, <laughs> which we're still going to talk about. But um, I've, been, I've been meaning to get a co-host for quite some time now. And, um, you know, to be, to be honest, as everybody knows, I'm pretty busy. I just started um, a new job with a, with a new paramedic service, which I'm super excited about. But uh, I didn't leave my former service. I just dropped down to part-time there. So uh, pretty busy with work. And then um, the new semester um, has picked back up for my online uh, university schooling. So I'm kind of back at that too. So, you know, things are busy, but uh, I don't want the podcast to uh, to suffer because of my busy schedule because that's a big priority and having you here Russell has definitely rejuvenated me and I think we're going to pick up some great momentum and you know what I want the show to look like moving forward Russell is going to be you know me and you covering current events and running getting guests on uh, from regular runners to you know competitive runners who are out there running the big races um, you know as we see from the trails to the road to the track we'll have any type of runner on the show and. Um, you know, for myself, primarily, uh, especially this time of year, uh, Canacross is what I'm all about. And uh, I'm doing a couple of virtual events this year with my girls. And we're going to talk about that shortly. Um, but Russell, first, you know, for those who may have not heard your episodes, or for some new listeners, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on yourself? Um, you know, kind of how long you've been running and, and what your goals are, and, you know, some of the some of the prouder moments you've had with running. Absolutely. That would be my pleasure. Uh, so 
Officially, my name is Russell Lavis, um, and I began running in August of 2018. And my first run was a 5K. So I started out just like any other runner, um, just starting at the more uh, simple level and uh, and just seeing how I found the sport of running. And after finishing my first 5K and running a few 5Ks, I found myself enjoying the sport. And so then I tried a 10K, which was not pretty whatsoever, my first 10K. Um, and uh, But I enjoyed the challenge and I enjoyed the process uh, and just the motion of running. And so from there, I wondered what else I could possibly achieve. And at the time, it seemed like a half marathon was uh, just far too difficult for me to even fathom, truthfully. Um, but I decided to try it and I was able to finish it. And from there, I just kept seeing what was possible. And uh, within seven months, I, I actually, I set out to run a marathon. Within seven months of starting running, I set out to run a marathon. And uh, once I reached that first marathon point, I was having so much fun that I actually ran my first ultra marathon before I ran a marathon. And now three years later, I've, I've run, it's, it's been an incredible journey. I've, I've run 16 marathons and 17 ultra marathons, uh, three of which have eclipsed hundred kilometers. And I've had the pleasure of fundraising for some incredibly special causes, many uh, not-for-profit organizations uh, that are in dire need of support. And uh, so the sport of running has just become a, a huge part of who I am and, uh, and my identity. And um, I'm, I'm always uh, now looking to see what type of challenges I can take on and to, to grow and uh, to enjoy the sport of running. Awesome, Russell. Um, yeah, what you've been able to accomplish in the past three years is absolutely amazing, man. It's, uh, you know, kudos to you for that. That's cool. So let's play a little game for our listeners now so they can get to kind of know you a little bit better because I've been blabbing on here since 2019. And, uh, you know, it's really cool. We've had a, a hundred episodes and uh, I think we're listened to in about 49 different countries um, you know, the show has been downloaded over 12,000 times, which is really cool. Not too, not too shabby for, for a little show from Shelburne with no budget and no income. So pretty, pretty happy about that, man. That's really cool. And, uh, you know, for, for those of you who are regular listeners, I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for doing that and, and for taking the time to listen and to interact on social media and send your emails in and whatnot. Uh, and to all the guests past, uh, present, future, again, thank you. It's, it's been wonderful getting to know you and to talk to you and, and make friendships. And it's, it's really a unique experience to, to host a podcast and talk to people from around the world and, and build these friendships um, with people that you've never met and, you know, may never meet. Uh, but, you know, the podcast has been a vehicle for us to, to connect and learn about each other. And it's, it's been really amazing. So, so Russell Lavis, this is probably gonna be the only episode we call you that because, you know, you're fondly known as Russell the runner online and on your Instagram account. And I think that's a very fitting name, but um, let's just play a little game here. I was going to come up with some questions and you give us some answers. We'll talk about, uh, talk about you a little bit right now. So, uh, I guess first I want to know what your preference is road trail or track. 
At one time, it would have been road, uh, especially when I was more into the faster marathon stuff. But the trail has grown fond on my heart, so most certainly trail. Yeah. Now, I want to ask a follow up to that because um, you used to live in you know in the city, and now you live more in a rural area. Um, did that have an influence on where you liked to run? Most definitely. I mean, so here uh, in Corp Lakes, uh, certainly even just the rail trail, which is a gravel trail, but it's surrounded by trees and, and just beautiful sights of nature. Um, uh, that's certainly had a profound impact on me. With that being said, in Toronto, uh, Tommy Thompson Park or the Leslie Spit was an incredibly special trail as well. So uh, while I was in Toronto, trails were still uh, on my mind. But since I moved here and since I experienced the Halliburton Forest Ultra, it's undoubtedly become trail is, uh, is an incredibly special place. And, uh, and, uh, and I believe all humans should experience trails. Um, and they, they bring such wellness and such joy to uh, uh, to, I believe every human being, if you experience them. Yeah, I agree. I think Luna and Piper agree with you too. They were kind of voicing their opinion back there. <laughs> I don't know if you heard them. Barking. They sounded quite passionate about it too. Oh, they love the trails. They absolutely love the trails. We were out there today. We we're out there yesterday. Um, you know, one of the things we love doing, obviously winter is, is kind of the peak season for Canacross or the on season, if you will. And, uh, we're lucky enough to have snowmobile trails pretty much right in our backyard. And, uh, so they just groomed them recently. We've been waiting for that. And, uh, we head out there and, uh, you know, during the daytime hours, during the weekdays, there's not many snowmobiles out there. We try to avoid it on the weekends when, when all the, all the snowmobilers are out there, but, uh, now it's great to share the trails with them. We really appreciate it. And, uh, it's tons of fun. And, yeah, like you, I've got a rail trail um, also not too far from me. I can probably get there within four minutes by foot. And uh, it goes all the way up to Owen Sound. And uh, that's one of the things I'd like to do is is run it up to Owen Sound. Uh, it would be pretty cool. So, um, you know, things to think about in the future. But all right, so that was the first question. We know that you prefer the trail. Uh, I'm in agreement with you there. <laughs> But nothing wrong with the road. I'm not knocking the road. I do plenty of road running, but uh, the trail is a special treat um, for many of the reasons that you, you talked about. So next question is um, shoe brand. We know we've covered this on previous shows, but what's your what's your favorite trail shoe to run in? What's your favorite brand? Well, so truthfully, I've actually only had one official trail shoe um, that I got uh, just before September, before the Halliburton Forest Ultra. Uh, so... Um, but I really enjoy them. It's the Nike Trail Pegasus shoes. Um, and that with, with that being said, uh, I've had a few pairs of shoes. Um, so I've had three versions of the Nike Pegasus. So those are just like the roads. I've had the 35s, 36, and 37s. And I've also had a couple pairs of Hoka One One uh, pairs of shoes now. Um, so I, I mean, I'd say that I enjoy, uh, the Nike brand a lot, but with that being said, I, I enjoy the Hoka One One, uh, shoes that I've had as well. Um, yeah, uh, that's all the shoes that I've ever had or I've enjoyed them. Now I typically run in, um, in ultras kind of like the zero drop shoe, uh, currently running in superior 4.0s for the trail and have, uh, 2.0 Escalantes or whatever. Um, I was kind of disappointed with them because they have like a knitted upper 
and both of my big toes poked through the the end. So I uh, I busted out my uh, <laughs> whatever sewing skills I had and sewed them up. Um, but I've actually really been considering um, purchasing a pair of Hoka's for my next pair, just because of the cushioning and and being able to run a little bit farther without getting kind of the fatigued legs. Like I'm 40 years old, right? So, you know, my legs I find you I'm are. Like, I am, buddy. <laughs> you sound surprised. <laughs> I thought you were 35. Well, okay, we could say that. That's pretty good. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, you know, I find that you know, on the long runs, like my my hip flexors really get sore. So I'm wondering if the you know the extreme cushioning of the hokas will kind of help with that. So what what's been your experience in the in the hokas when you've been running? I mean, they've been comfortable. Uh, I would I would say that. Uh, the Hoka's I'm running in now, I forget the exact title for them because I got them back in June. I've wore them kind of sporadically, so they still work. Um, uh, they certainly have good cushioning. I ran with them uh, tonight, well, and last night on the rail trail in the snow. Um, so they have great cushioning. Um, so that may help you with uh, that, uh, um, those, that issue that you're mentioning with your hip flexor. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Um, how was the rail trail tonight? It's snowy. Was did, were you protected from the wind, or did you have some wind? Uh, there, there was no wind, but uh, it was certainly very dark, and there was a lot of snow on the rail trail. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of just trudging through the snow, uh, but was able to move quite efficiently. It was fun. Um, awesome. Is it the Victoria Rail Trail that you're on? That's correct. Yes. Yeah, so I've been on that I a few on times. over, yeah, to just to Fenelon Falls and uh, yeah. And then I just had a little bit north on the rail trail there. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Um, is it groomed for snowmobiles as well? I would imagine. Yeah. So while you were mentioning snowmobiles, I literally saw, I think a handful of them. I think I saw at least five snowmobiles uh, just during the 10 K run tonight. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to see them uh, fly by me as I was running. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know what the etiquette is like, you know, running on the snowmobile trails. When I'm with my dogs, I usually pull over and let the, the machines pass um, just because I don't think they're going to expect to kind of see a guy running with his dogs on the trail. And, uh, you know, they can get up to pretty high speed. So I figure it's better safe than sore and kind of give them the right away. Um, you know, just, just as a, as a courtesy, I guess, but what do you do? You just keep on running or do you stop for them or what do you do? I just keep running and I, I wave at them to make sure that they see me. Um, yeah. And that, that tends to work well. Yeah. A wave always goes a long way too. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, that would be fine. I would probably do the same thing if I didn't have my animals, but, uh, it's not like my dogs would chase them or anything, but you know, it, it's for their comfort and mine as well. I mean, just pull over and, and just let them get on and uh, gives me a bit of a break. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's a good approach as, as well. I would take that approach if I had dogs with me too. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Um, okay. Next question. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. Favorite season to run in? Actually, I haven't been asked that question before, shockingly. Hmm. I'll go with fall just because of the, the beauty of the trees and the leaves and the colors um, and the weather. I don't mind suffering in heat or cold, but uh, 
I mean, that that's an additional compliment to fall. Obviously, uh, it's you know the conditions are nice and there's so much beauty, especially. Uh, in a trail environment. Yeah, I agree. And now you're talking early fall when, you know, it's still pleasant outside. It's not like rainy and cloudy and cold and kind of like freezing rain or whatever, because that's kind of the late fall. I hate that season. That's probably my my least favorite. But I, w- I would, it's tough for me because, you know, the winter time is, is when the dogs love to run. Now they do well in the fall, but winter is their season. And uh, for me, I think, there's nothing better than running on a clear winter night like we've had in January where the stars are out. You might have a, a light snowfall when the wind is low and the snow is crushing under your feet. For me, there's just nothing better, and I absolutely love it. Um, but, yeah, I think in a, in a close second, if not maybe tied for first uh, early fall, like you described with the, with the colors out in the trails, um, just absolutely amazing stuff. You know, summer is great. I don't mind running in the summer. Like you said, you kind of suffer through the heat. You kind of plod along a little bit slower. But it's still great, too, because where I run, we've got, you know, rivers and things like that. You can just kind of go in there and cool off, which is, which is really nice. You know, spring is nice, too, because you're kind of getting out of the winter. You know, it can, it can be wet. No, for me, winter, hands down, I think is, is the best in early fall. Um, so let me ask, um, have you ever had any weather that you've run in that maybe made you second guess your wisdom in, in going out in that weather in the first place? Absolutely not. Every run is a special run. I remember my first winter running, and it was extremely early in the winter. It was literally at the beginning, close to the beginning of 2019. And I was curious as to uh, what kind of environment I could survive in on a run. And so there was literally a snowstorm and I decided to go out for a five mile run. And actually quite a funny story, my sister, uh, so when I got back from the run, which took me, I think 50 minutes to run five miles in the snowstorm, it was obviously not pretty. Uh, When I got back from the run, my sister said on the radio, that uh, that there was a some just a, a radio reporter had mentioned that they saw someone on the side of the road just running <laughs> in a snowstorm, and they were saying apparently, why can't you take an off day? I mean, there's cars sliding everywhere, and you're running, <laughs> and yeah, so that's quite the story. I always remember that. So that was three winters ago now, uh, but I always remember that and. From there on out, I I mean, so there was one time I got caught in hail, um, and I actually, truthfully, I didn't mind running in the hail, as crazy as that sounds, um, because, yeah, I just, I enjoyed uh, embracing that those challenging environments and seeing that I could uh, operate in them. Ah, uh, good answer, Russ. I like it. Hail, I don't think I've ever run in hail before. Um, but there is something to be said for running in, in inclement weather, whether it's, you know, a rainstorm or a snowstorm or a hailstorm. For me, it really kind of brings me back to my childhood when you'd go play outside, whether you were summertime, you get caught in the rain and you just didn't care or, or playing outside with your friends in the snow in the wintertime. Right. And, and just being out in the elements like that, um, it really is a unique experience. I think it's something that most adults lose as they grow up because you're not going to go outside in that weather what's the point right but but as runners we want to go run and we don't want the weather to stop us and you know now don't get me wrong you know i've been running for 10 years now so 
I will kind of choose my days. Whereas early on in my running career, I, I was like, I don't care. This weather's not stopping me. I'm getting out for my run, right? So now I might be a little bit more selective, but I still run in the weather. I'll still run in the rain. I'll still run in the snow. And uh, yeah, I always feel like a kid again when I'm doing that and uh, something, something great about it. I did have one run. This was, um, oh man, back in my 20s. So I wasn't really super into running. I was more into kind of weightlifting and bodybuilding, but I still, I still enjoyed running. Anyhow, um, I was on a vacation and I wasn't at the gym, but I wanted to get in a run that night. I was up in, uh, up in the Aurelia area and there was a storm. It was, it was raining pretty hard. It wasn't quite a storm, but uh, I figured, okay, I'm just going to go out for, you know, 20 minutes and I'll be right back. So I'm out there and I'm running and it's raining pretty hard and starting to get worse. And all of a sudden thunder starts to kind of, kind of go across the sky. And there was one lightning strike that was so close. I like, it's a good thing it was, I was soaked because my pants got a little bit wetter when that lightning strike hit. And uh, I ran as fast as I could back, back to, uh, to the building because it was just, uh, that was scary. That was actually a scary moment where I was like, okay, I shouldn't be out here, right? Like, you just felt so vulnerable. There was all these tall trees around me and everything. And I was like, I got to get out of here in a fast way. So that was, I think, the one experience I had um, being in weather where I was like, you know what? Bad decision, Sean. Shouldn't have done this. I've never heard a story like that before. I'm so grateful that you ended up being okay and that you got out of there. And that would have been just incredibly uh, just shocking. And yeah, I can't imagine how scared you must have felt. Yeah, it was was pretty scary. So I'm going to preface this question um, with a story of my own or not a story, but just the different examples of my own. So um, you know, over the years when you're running, uh, whether it's on a trail or side of the road or sidewalk, whatever, a lot of times you're kind of looking down at the ground and sometimes you may spot some weird objects. So I, I have kind of a mental list of some of the some of the odder things that I found. I think the most common thing that I see when I'm running for some reason is banana peels. I always see banana peels on the side of the road, which is weird. I don't pick those up. I've I found cash. I made 20 bucks running one time. I found 20 bucks just lying there in the middle of the road. So I picked that up. I did too. Yeah. Money, right? (laughs) Finders, finders, keepers at that point. Um, So I found money. I found a hunting knife, believe it or not, up in the country in its sheath. I don't know how it ended up on the side of the road, but I still have it to this day. Yeah. It's not like a huge Rambo knife. It's probably about a five inch blade, but uh, yeah. Look pretty cool. So I held on to that. Um, what else did I find? I found a really cool bird feather. I'm not even sure what kind of bird it came from. It was brown with like kind of whitish, whitish lines going across it. So that was really cool. Um, I found a dead snake that I'd never seen before. I hate snakes. I absolutely hate snakes. Um, so this was a really kind of, it wasn't super long. It was definitely over a foot. It was maybe like a foot and a half, maybe 18 inches long, but it was thick. It was maybe like, I don't know, an inch and a half, two inches in diameter. It was upside down. So I flipped it over to see what it looked like. And it had kind of these horns on its head or where its nares were. So I kind of looked it up. I'm like, how am I going to find the snake? So I took a picture and I was looking up Ontario snakes. And it was like a, it was called the hog nose snake or something like that. Anyways, they're, they're in eastern Ontario. This was in the Quarth is where I found it. And uh, it was just a unique kind of creature that I had seen on the road before. Uh, I've had some wildlife encounters I've mentioned on the show before. I saw like a, a wolf trying to take down a deer. Um, that was kind of cool and creepy. I got video footage of that. Uh, but yeah, so those are some of the kind of the weird things I found on the side of the road. 
Um, what about you? What have you found? Have you found anything interesting while running other than the money I mean, you mentioned? That's never uh, been something I've thought about much. Um, nothing that's nothing nearly as interesting as a knife or a bird feather or yeah, um, those types of things. Um, I will say like a handful of times I'm thinking about it and I have run by a handful of times, like either beer cans or beer bottles, which should not be on the side of the road. Um, but they are, um, so yeah, that's always disturbing. I I've seen those too. Yeah, that's, I really don't like that. I know I've seen that out here on the County road in which this County road cars drive, like the speed limit is 80. So I thought to myself, why is there a beer can on the side of the road when this is where cars drive super fast? I hope no one was drinking and then throwing it out the their window while driving. I mean, it's kind of, you know, obviously I don't know who or when or how, but you know, that that's just kind of weird, right? To see a beer can on the side of a highway, essentially, right? Oh, yeah. You know, um, Russell, I'm, I'm sure that it was, you know, in the back of the pickup truck in a bag on its way to be recycled, and it just kind of blew out. Landed on the side of the road. Let's just go probably with that. Probably that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go anyway, with that. Anyway, it's just kind of weird, right? It's like you wouldn't expect to see a beer can on the side of a highway, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we're working as a paramedic, unfortunately. I see a lot of people who... uh who drink and drive. So it, it's not a surprise that, uh, that you see that out there. It happens way too often. For sure. But yeah, other than that, I, I can't think of anything that unique. I mean, clearly there's garbage, but uh, yeah, nothing nearly as uh, interesting as you brought up. <laughs> <laughs> cool, buddy. Um, all right. Well, you know what, you keep running out there on the trails and on the, on the, on the country roads, I'm sure you're going to come across some pretty cool stuff. And you'll end up making a list. But yeah, man, banana peels. Try to keep track of those. Those are crazy. I don't know why uh, I always see banana peels on the side of the road. I haven't slipped on I don't one think I before. have seen any of those. Oh, Doyle rules. I've seen a whole bunch. <laughs> <laughs> you, do you know where that's from? <laughs> that's, I, it's from a movie, right? I, yeah. I, I've heard of it. Uh, what's the name of it? I don't know. Oh, man, I can't, I can't think of the name of the movie right now. It's a road oil rules and then no, but I, banana yeah, peel on the road. Too. The car goes off the cliff. I'm like, oh, oil rules. <laughs> That's the best. Yeah, man. Um, okay, so let's see here. We've covered, we've covered shoes. We've covered weather. We've covered what seasons you like to run in. Um, okay, here's another one for you. Uh, do you prefer running in the morning, in the afternoon, or in the evening or night? I prefer running in the afternoon. Um, really? Which, unfortunately, that's uh, not an option on weekdays. Um, but, yeah, I just, I like how it's in the middle of the day. I can kind of start my day, have a nice breakfast, uh, head on out just at a, you know, kind of a casual hour. Um, uh but I mean, I do like late morning um, as well. But I mean, if I have to pick one of the three, it'd be afternoon. I, I just like how it's in the core of the day and um, I can run into the night if I want. I do like running in the night. Morning is definitely my least favorite, at least early morning, um, uh, except on the, on the morning of a big ultra because that's just necessary, right? Those are beautiful mornings. 
but uh, with that being said, if I had to pick one of the three for sure afternoon, uh, but I mean, I enjoyed the night too. I, I, I like running in the dark. It's, there's a special spirit to that. Yeah. Perfect answer, buddy. It's, uh, it's kind of ones where you can't really pick, you know, there's pick a definitive answer. Cause there's, there's cool things about each kind of aspect. And, um, you know, for myself, I kind of prefer running when it's dark outside. Um, it's easier to do that in the winter months because it gets dark really early. Um, in the summer months, you know, the sun's not out. It's, it can be a little bit cooler, um, without having to contend with, with the, with the hot sun. But yeah, you know, kind of hard to imagine a guy like me who has a podcast and whatnot. I'm a little bit of an introvert. So sometimes I just don't want people to see me running. I don't know. It's weird. I'm just like, I just don't want to be out there in front of people while I'm running. So I'm going to go when it's dark and there's less traffic. There's less people to deal with. Um, you know, that's kind of why I almost prefer night shifts as well, too, because just again, less traffic, less people to deal with. And, uh, you know, it goes a little bit easier. But I, I would say... Um, you know, morning, morning time, not super early morning. I've done that, but, uh, morning time is, is a nice time to run too before, especially in the summer before the heat hits you and, and whatnot, eh? And you get the birds singing and stuff in the spring. So yeah, it's really hard to say, but if I had to pick one, I'd, I'd go with, with nighttime, uh, for myself. So plus you can put on some cool reflective gear and whatnot, eh? Yeah. Reflective gear is definitely neat. And I can relate to you and not wanting to be seen. There's something cool about that. It's kind of like you're just hidden and uh, you just have a special bond with yourself. And I think that can be really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you put it that way, it's almost like there's that it adds to the, to the solitude of the run, right? Like sometimes you just want to be with yourself and, and lost maybe in your thoughts and processing things. And, and I get a lot of that from running, you know, it's, it's really cathartic for me. And I think maybe that when you're out there with, with less distractions, with less traffic, with less people to contend with, um, you're able to kind of experience it that much more. And that might be while I, why, or one of the reasons why I I prefer the trails as well, because you can be out there on your own and, and out in the trails, man, it's just you and nature. And, um, you know, you can get lost in your thoughts and just process whatever's on your mind. And it's, it's really, it's really great. Cheaper than therapy, hundred percent and healthier than, than, uh, you know, chemical uh, coping <laughs> with alcohol or drugs. So uh, running's, running's great for, for many, many reasons. And that's, that's definitely one of the big ones for me. That's very well said. Uh, yeah, there's something, there's something that's irreplaceable about the trail environment. Um, just because it's almost like you've es escaped civilization and society in a sense, and it's just being human in the most rawest form. And yeah. that's that's a beautiful thing. Your <laughs> Piper and Luna are jumping up on you. <laughs> yeah, Luna wants her kiss. It always goes that way. Piper wants some attention, then Luna comes and steals it. She just like, oh, she'll push Piper out of the way. All right, they both got some kisses. Um, <laughs> sorry awesome. about that interruption there. Think it's talking, put them on the mic. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, man. So, okay, when you're running, because I know, you know, some people like to wear specialized running clothes. Um, for myself, I'll run in, in whatever, man, it doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, you know, I can buy stuff at uh, giant tiger, you know, I'll treat myself to get stuff from a running store every once in a while. Um, but you know, as, as long as I've got shoes on that, uh, that 
work for me. I really don't care about anything else. Um, what about you? I mean, I'm, I'm not too picky. Uh, you know, just as long as it's suitable for the run and the environment, I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. <laughs> nice. Okay. Last, last question. And we'll, we'll move on and talk about other things, but, um, I have, since I've been running the same ball cap that I've been wearing for every run in the summer and spring, right? When it gets cold, um, I have, a, you know, a, a several toques in my rotation and balaclavas, but in the summertime, I have the same hat. It's a Panama Jack hat that I got um, in Florida. I started running in the winter of 2012, no, 2011, sorry. And then 2012, we went to Florida and I bought this hat and I've been running with that hat ever since. And it's faded and gross, but I can't get rid of it. I'm like, Oh, I could get another hat. I'm like, Nope, something about it. I can't. So that's my running hat. Do you have anything like that, that you always wear? I'm so happy you asked that question. <laughs> I... Don't tell me it's the same underwear. Cause I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not that. I swear. <laughs> um, I have a hat and uh, I'm just going to be honest. So it's a Canucks hat. And on the back of it, uh, one of my friends, they, they got me a, a customized hat. And on the back of this uh, Canucks hat, because I'm, I'm a Vancouver Canucks fan. I'm also a Leafs fan. You know, some may disagree with that. Um, uh, but I moved to Toronto and then became a Leafs fan on top of a Canucks fan. Anyway, Fair. Um, on the back of the hat, it says Russell the Love Muscle. And the past two summers, I've been running around with this hat, and especially in the summer. I put it on, I put it on backwards, and I've done some heated, real hot, like 35 degree runs in this hat. And it's only good for runs now. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious, buddy. Russell the Love Muscle, that's, that's awesome. All right. <laughs> That just gave me an idea. So I want you to get a photo of your hat to me and I'm going to get some pictures. Are you of, sure? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm, I'm just some, kidding. I'm going to get some pictures of my hat. I'm going to put up on the Trail Tales Instagram and we'll share it on social media. And maybe we can get uh, people who are listening to this to kind of post their running hats, the one that they always wear. Because it's probably a thing, man. I bet you there's a lot of people out there that wear, that wear running hats, like, you know, the same one for many years. So I want I want to see I want to see your running hats. You can either, you know, post it on your social media and tag uh Trail Tales ARP or Russell the Runner or you can email it to trailtalesarp at gmail.com and uh, we'll post it on our social media and give you credit for it. Let's see those those dirty stinky running hats, man. What do you think? <laughs> Let's do it. Pile in all the dirty running hats. Yeah. Just send them on in. <laughs> Let's see them all. <laughs> absolutely. So um, prior to us getting on here, Russell, um, in prep, prepping for my uh, show that I was going to do about running with dogs, I did, I did a pre-recorded thing about this event that I'm, I'm going to be partaking in that starts in a few days on January 31st, and it's going to go for, for a year. I wanted to talk about that a little bit now, and I'm going to play that recorded episode after this, or that recorded vignette anyways. Um, so what it is... So what it is, it's the Connie Canacross Hero Paws Virtual Challenge, and it's originating in the United Kingdom, and it's really unique. So a 455-mile virtual race, which works out to about 730 kilometers that we have a year to complete, 
So it's very doable. I'm not going to be over overrunning my dogs. Probably going to try to get a lot of it done in the cooler months. That way in the, in the summer, I don't have to run too much in the heat. But what's really unique about this event is that it's inspired by the story of Judy. Judy is the only dog to ever be an official prisoner of war. And Judy lived during World War II and became an official prisoner of war under the Japanese uh, military. Um, so I talk about the origins of that. And I talk about Judy in this vignette that I'm going to be playing for you shortly. So it, it's really neat. And what I also really like about this race um, is that a portion of the fees uh, is going to be donated to an organization called Hero Paws. And what Hero Paws does is they retrain and rehome retired service dogs, whether they be military or, or police um, dogs or what have you. They, they give them a retirement home and retrain them. So I think that's really great way to kind of help dogs and, and keep my dogs involved in running too and help them, you know, stay active. And, you know, in a way my dogs are helping other dogs. So it's, it's really cool, really unique. And uh, we'll be playing that in a few minutes uh, for, for everybody to hear. So pretty cool story, man. Pretty unique. I never, I never knew about Judy or anything like that before. So when I, when I heard and learned about it, I thought it was, yeah, I'm in. Absolutely. That's well, Hero Pause is clearly a tremendous initiative and incredible news, Sean. The fact that you are embarking on this virtual run, 455 miles, in association with this cause is phenomenal. And is that Piper or Luna? This one's Luna. This one's Luna. That's Lu Luna. Okay. Luna's, I will Luna's remember her face. Yeah, she's the brindle. She's the brindle dog. She's got like kind of the tiger stripes on her and... Well, she is she is quite the runner. She's a strong, strong puller. We went out for 10K yesterday and uh, she she could have gone for another 10 easily. She just she pulls. There's always tension on the leash. Like at one point, Piper was running beside me and Luna was just pulling us both. It was amazing. I, I had them not to get too much into Canacross because um, this is not a Canacross episode. But anyways, I had them um, running with a neckline. So their collars are attached by, you know, about an eight inch line and they run side by side, but it just turns out that, that Luna is just much more driven to pull and run than Piper is. And it was really getting uncomfortable for Piper. Like it felt like she was getting dragged along. And I noticed that she wasn't as excited to get into her harness as she used to be. So I've taken a step back from using the neckline. I just, I shortened Piper's line a little bit. So she's just behind Luna. And if she wants to fall back, she can, but you know, when I get into races, uh, it's going to be Luna all the way. It's going to be uh, pulling me. Piper's Piper's great for just a nice, you know, casual trail trail run. And uh, Luna's just like, she's, you know, going at 10 out of 10 all the time, full steam ahead. I mean, it's you, you've, you've talked about that before, and I'm always so fascinated by the dynamics of the difference between Luna and Piper. It's certainly fascinating that Luna tends, yeah, that she enjoys the speed and Piper seems more about the durability, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, a, a large part of that, I think, is the, just the breed, right? Luna is 50% Siberian Husky and 50% American Bulldog. And Piper is, is a rescue. She's a mishmash of everything. But I think primarily she's Husky and Yellow Lab. And, you know, you put those two together, yellow labs. Um, I don't know. I've never had a yellow lab, but I know they can be pretty, pretty lazy from what I hear. And, uh, you know, Piper's 
Piper can be lazy if you let her be lazy, but uh, I keep her active. And, you know, I notice that uh, every once in a while, she'll look like she's getting a little bit chunky. I'm like, no, no, no. Okay. We got to go run. It's been too long since I've taken you out. Um, you know, but uh, now that winter's here, we're settling into a nice rhythm and, you know, we've got uh, the hero pause virtual to, uh, to motivate us and, and get us out there. So looking forward to that. All my, all my uh, kilometers this year have been with the dogs so far. So my volume's down from what it normally would be, but uh, I think we're at you know, 40 kilometers for the month, uh, which is fine. I'm okay with that, especially with how, you know, kind of full my schedule is lately. Um, but it's fun. I just keep my, you know, my focus on enjoying the run and making sure my dogs are safe and healthy and having a good time. And I don't know if they've got energy still, they're wrestling. And I thought I burnt them out today too from, from the run we had this afternoon, but, uh, you know, they're just nonstop, nonstop. I mean, that's interesting, you know, so obviously I've only ever run by myself. I just, I find it so fascinating how you're constantly analyzing you know, how they're looking, you know, like, so you mentioned that they put on a bit of weight, oh, we need to go get back out there, or, you know, how their recovery works. I mean, I think that's all so, I mean, it's so fascinating how uh, you analyze uh, everything that's going on with them that relates to running. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, just something that you do, I guess, you, you pay close attention to them. And, you know, because we don't have, you know, verbal language that we can speak uh to each other i think there's a lot of non-verbal stuff that we pay attention to and i know they certainly pay attention to me and a great example of that is uh, a few weeks back we we're out in the sidewalk and it was snowy and and i took a spill and i thought oh my gosh here I go. i'm gonna get dragged and uh, as soon as i went down they stopped and they turned around and came right to me like i was i was not expecting that i thought <laughs> they were gonna pull me across on the snow but when I went down, they, they stopped right away and came back to check on me. I got up and said, okay, let's go. We're good. And, you know, no harm, no foul. But, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. Um, so there's a lot of that where, you know, they make sure I'm okay and I make sure they're okay too. So uh, one of my favorite aspects about the whole sport. But, yeah, man, so that's that's kind of what, you know, me and the girls are up to this winter. We're pretty excited about it. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Anyways, you know what, man? Um this is 100 episodes of Trail Tales ARP. And again, thank you so much to the listeners. I want to welcome you, Russell, uh, as a co-host to the show. I think you have a lot to offer. Um, you know, what you do with your running is remarkable. What you do for, for charity is remarkable. Um, you're a really cool guy. A lot of interesting things about you. And, uh, you know, as we go on, we'll learn more about each other and, and about our running. And pretty excited to have you on. And, yeah, we'll get some guests in the future and the future is bright, man. It's, it's, it's going to be exciting, dude. So again, welcome. Welcome to Trail Tales ERP, buddy. Thank you very much, Sean. And most certainly the future is ever bright and I'm looking forward to being a co-host on your, again, your truly incredible podcast, Sean. Yeah. You know what I'm really looking forward to is getting you strapped on to one of my dogs, letting them pull you. <laughs> That'll be fun. I've yet, I've yet to experience Canacross, so yeah, I have oh, no clue what that would be like, but it'll be a rush. It'll be a rush. I, I won't hook you up to Luna right away. She's not a beginner dog. <laughs> Get you onto Piper. She's good. She's good with other people. Luna certainly sounds very speedy. <laughs> she, is, uh, she is. She's something else. She's a magnificent beast, as I call her. They both are. But all right. So uh, let's end it there, buddy. And uh, as we always end our shows, Run wild, my friend. Run wild. 
All right, everybody, you run wild. Enjoy um, the little vignette about Judy. Judy was a purebred liver and white colored pointer. She saved countless lives, survived sinking ships, and spent several years in internment camps. So it's little wonder Judy the dog became one of the most famous and unlikely heroes of the Second World War. She stole the hearts of the nation in 1945, when news of her exploits and time served as an official prisoner of war were revealed to the public. She returned to Britain along with thousands of Allied troops, following victory over Japan Day, which celebrated its 70th anniversary back in 2015. Judy was the ship's mascot. On board the gunboat HMS Nat in 1936, part of the defense fleet in the Far East, animals would often be adopted by warships as mascots to help with security, pest control, and companionship for those on board. Initial attempts to train Judy as a gun dog for shooting parties ashore were a failure and she would often end up falling overboard, forcing the ship to come to a stop to retrieve her. But before long, Judy proved her worth to the ship's company. She alerted the sailors to the presence of river pirates who would have done them harm in the darkness and could point out the approach of hostile Japanese aircraft using her superior sense of hearing. Years later, Judy transferred to the gunboat HMS Grasshopper, which in 1942 was attacked by Japanese aircraft, forcing all those on board to abandon ship and head to the nearest land, an island in the South China Sea. With no fresh water supply to be found, the situation looked grim for the survivors of HMS Grasshopper and HMS Dragonfly, another British ship whose sailors ended up stranded on the island. But once again, Judy's instincts saved the lives of her compatriots. Leonard Walter Williams, a British seaman who served on board HMS Grasshopper, recalled his memories of Judy in an interview for the Imperial War Museum. And he said, We landed on the island and naturally water was short. Judy was lost one day and we couldn't find her, so we went to search for her and she found a patch where she dug a big hole and she found fresh water for the survivors of the dragonfly and the grasshopper. Judy was a survivor then. She was a marvelous lifesaver. Judy and the men trekked for hundreds of miles in a bid to reach safety at Padang in Sumatra, but missed the last evacuation ship as the Japanese were due to invade the city at any moment. At the arrival of the enemy forces, the survivals of the bombing of Grasshopper were taken into custody as prisoners of war, along with Judy, and taken to a camp in Medan, in North Sumatra. It was at this camp in Medan, in August 1942, that Judy bonded with leading aircraftman Frank Williams from Portsmouth. The young British sailor shared his meager rice ration with Judy, and from that moment she never left his side. Judy protected Frank and the other prisoners of war by distracting the camp guards when they were dealing out punishment to their captives. Later, the prisoners of war were told they would be heading to Singapore on board the SS Van Warwick, but the Japanese would not allow Judy to board the boat with them and ordered she be left behind. Leonard Williams, of no relation to Frank, recalled, We weren't going to have that happen. Judy had been with us all that time. So we had a sack and we would train her to hop in the sack at a given signal and then we would put her on our shoulders. Judy was put in the sack and we carried her on board. The next day on the 26th of June 1944, the SS Van Warwick was torpedoed by a British submarine. Unaware the vessel was being used to transport Allied prisoners of war. Of the estimated 700 prisoners on board, 500 were killed. 
but amid the fires and wreckage, Judy emerged unscathed. Mr. Williams added, when we were torpedoed, we heeled over and luckily Judy was by a porthole. We opened the porthole and Judy was pushed through and she ran down the ship's side. Quite a few of us were lucky to get out at that particular time. A lot of people owe their lives to Judy. She was pushing pieces of wood towards people who couldn't swim. Eventually, the survivors swam towards a Japanese tanker and climbed up the nets on its side. Judy too was hauled aboard, but the Japanese guards were not happy to see the dog, who they knew should never have been on board the ship. They declared that they would have her killed as soon as they reached land. However, as the execution was due to take place, the former commander of the prisoner of war camp they have traveled from in Medine intervened. He had taken a liking to Judy and to ensure her safety, ordered she be listed as an official prisoner of war. This made her protected from execution and eligible for rations. Judy was reunited with Frank and remained with him throughout the war, surviving several camp moves as well as gunshot wounds, alligator bites, and attacks from wild dogs before the Japanese surrender in August of 1945. Once back home in Britain, Judy was met with national adoration. She was presented with the PDSA Dickin Medal, known as the Animal's Victoria Cross, which is the highest honor an animal can receive. It recognizes the bravery and devotion shown by animals serving in time of military conflict. She received a citation that would make any human soldier, sailor, or airman proud. It read, for magnificent courage and endurance in Japanese prison camps, which helped maintain morale among fellow prisoners and also saving many lives through intelligence and watchfulness. Judy remained with Frank and died on the 17th of February in 1960. She was buried in Tanzania where Frank was working at the time. As a last tribute to his companion, Frank built a monument at the grave and attached a large metal plaque, which records the history of Judy's life in all her daring feats.